Okay, those of you visiting us, uh, we this is actually the final sermon in a, a mini-series on communion with God. And we looked at how to have communion with each person of the Trinity. And this will be the last sermon in this mini-series. Mini and then, Lord willing, next time I preach, it will be back in the book of Ex Esther. Then we're going to work through the book of Esther. Um, yeah, we're going to work through that book as well. So please join us for that series. It, it's going to really be amazing to study the book of Esther. Um, but let's read the text together, and then we'll pray, and we'll start. Okay, let's read together. And this is the reading of God's Word. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we ask you for your grace and your mercy even now as we listen uh, to this sermon, Father, that you would please speak to our hearts, encourage our hearts, strengthen it, Lord. Lord, I pray for your grace on myself, Lord, that you would please guide my, my speech and the way I speak, Lord, that it would be honorable to you and edifying to your people and draw the lost to your son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered how or why some of the most painful things in life has to do with your relationships? So think, for example, of your relationship with your father or your mother. Think of your relationship if you're married to your husband or your wife or your children. Of all the pain we can have in this world, I think relational pain are some of the deepest. And why is that? Why do those things leave us so hurt and in some sense change permanently? Because I believe God made us to be in relationships. That's why relationships are so important to us and why it's so painful when it goes wrong. Because God made us to be in relationship. And ultimately, the reason we're longing for relationship with one another is because we are longing for relationship with our God. We are longing to, be, to know Him, to have communion with Him. Communion is just a fancy word for friendship, relationship with God. We are talking about the most important part of our human existence, that intimate relationship with the triune God. And this God has made us to be in relationship with him and with one another. And that's because God in himself has always been a God in relationship with himself. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit from all of eternity past have always perfectly moved outward away from themselves towards the other person of the trinity in perfect love and enjoyment so god is wonderfully other centered in himself that's what love is love is to focus is to move away from yourself and to focus on others and to give yourself to others that's why if you are not like that if you implode if you are self-centered selfish self-focused you are one of the most miserable people alive because you were never made to be static, to stand still. You were made to be like God, to move outward, away from yourself, in love to God and in love to your neighbor. Now, we've already looked, like, looked at what a relationship with the Father looks like in His love, what a relationship with the Son looks like in His grace. But today, we're going to focus on our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now consider what Paul says about the Holy Spirit in this text. Look, at, look again at the verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the love of God, and then he says, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship there is the Greek word koinonia, which is basically the same for our our word uh, communion. There's an intimate giving and receiving from the Holy Spirit in our experience. So you could say the Spirit might be the most personal of the three persons of the Trinity, for He lives inside of us as our paraclete, our, our comforter, our helper, the one that comes beside us and helps us. He is the one that dwells in us and leads us to intimacy with the Father and the Son. So our outline for tonight will be very simple. First, we will look at what do we receive from the Holy Spirit in communion? And secondly, what do we give to the Spirit in communion? So what do we receive and what do we give? So first, let's consider what do we receive from the Holy Spirit in our communion with Him? And there are essentially two things we receive from Him. Salvation and sanctification. The first thing we receive is that we receive salvation from the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all working together to save us. The Father chose us, predestined us for adoption as sons. The Son redeems us, lives in our place, dies in our place, rises from the dead, intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. But it's the Spirit that takes all of that work of the Father and the Son and applies it to us, makes it effective in our hearts, makes us alive. Specifically, this is how it looks like. You hear the message of Jesus. You hear his great love for you displayed on the cross. And the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see him and see him as infinitely valuable, infinitely beautiful, the greatest treasure. Like that parable that says you see that great pull hidden in the field and you go and you sell everything you have to have that pull, that great treasure. That's the work of the Spirit. You cannot do that on your own. By nature, you don't see Jesus as beautiful. You don't want him. Remember, this is what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 5, when he said, this is what it means to be born again. He says, I'm going to switch that off. It's just going to be less distracting. Sorry. All those who are sleeping when are waking up, like, why is it so silent? Like, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Okay, so John 3, 5, Jesus says this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what it means to be born of water and the Spirit is the water and the Spirit refers to the same thing in different words. The water refers to our cleansing, our forgiveness of our sins, the washing of our sins. And the Spirit means the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us alive who regenerates us, who causes us to be born again. You are a completely new creation when you are born of water and the Spirit. Titus 3 verse 5 is another verse. Listen to this. He says, God the Father saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Holy Spirit makes us alive. Almost like the first creation. Have you ever noticed how all three persons of the Trinity are are involved in in Genesis chapter 1, in creation? What do we see? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do that? He, He said, God said, let there be light. And through his word, he creates. 
And what do we see the Spirit does? The Spirit was hovering over the face of the water. So here, here's the picture. God creates through His Word. And who is the Word? According to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. All things were made through Him. Through the Word. Through the Son of God. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So that the Father created everything. But it was the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters that took that and completed it. It made everything alive in His creation. The Spirit completed the actions of the Father and the Son. And we see the same pattern at the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, the Father says, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit descends on him like what? Like a dove. You see, the the word therefore hovering over the waters in the Hebrew is fluttering. Fluttering like a dove. So we have a similar picture when the Spirit descends on the Son. It's as if he's fluttering, coming over the Son to empower him. Because through him, God's going to make a new creation. Through the Son, God's going to make all things new. And he does that by the Spirit, by empowering Jesus by the Spirit and, and empowering us. So think about the implications of that. Before the Holy Spirit comes into your life, your life is a mess. It's like the first creation, chaos, empty, darkness, void. You, you do things that you just know won't bring you joy, but yet you do it. You even do things that you know will destroy your life and you don't care. You're like, I'm just going to do it because this is what my body is telling me to do. My passions is leading me on. Or you say things like this, if only I have this or that or this person in this relationship, then I will be fulfilled. Then I will be truly complete. But when God saves you, the pattern is exactly the same. He takes this emptiness, this darkness, this void in us, and he speaks into our hearts. He says, let there be light through his son through the word and the spirit comes and he brings us new life he takes that chaos and he makes us whole again he starts showing us again what life is about it's not about us it's about christ it's about jesus about loving him obeying him becoming like him and when the spirit moves into the home of your heart he starts renovating He starts taking some of the things that are out of place. He starts putting it back together. Now, that takes a long time. That's not something that happens instantly, right? It's a lifelong process. But my question to you is, have you tasted that salvation yet? Have you tasted of what I'm speaking of now? Has the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see that Jesus is more worth than everything you have? Your life, your money, your health, relationships put all of that in one basket and if you put jesus on his side he just outweighs it all he's just so much more valuable is that how you feel about him have you ever bowed your knee to to the lordship of christ and say lord wherever you go whatever you say i'll believe it and i'll follow you listen you can have that right now at this very moment, if you open your heart to God, to Jesus, He will come in. He will save you. If you repent of your sins and you just come, you put your trust in Christ, if you put your faith in Him, He makes you new. He saves you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Jesus came to save sinners. If you want the proof of that, look at the Apostle Paul, a man 
who killed Christians. You don't get more rubbish than that. <laughs> That's Paul. But then Jesus saves him. And listen to what Paul says. That's the point. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, if Jesus could save the biggest sinner, he can save you. So don't you dare say, but my sin is just too much. Like I've just failed too many times repeatedly. You can't say that. If he saved Paul, he can save you. There's another way to say it. In 1 John 2, it says that Christ is the propitiation for the, the sins of the whole world. His blood is sufficient for the whole world. Why won't it be enough for you? If his blood can cover the sin of the whole world, why can't it covers, cover yours? Think of how much sin there is in the world. <laughs> you can put all of that in a basket. And yet Jesus can cover it all. There is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. That's what you need to remember. There's more grace in Jesus than sin in you. So if you just put your whole weight on him, then he will save you. And that's, that's the work of the Spirit. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would have done that right now for many of you. But secondly, he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just save us. Second thing we receive from him is sanctification, is the process to become more like Jesus. So 2 Corinthians 3.18, listen to this verse. It says, this, this describes the process of sanctification well. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, again, the work of the Spirit is to transform you, to make you more like the image of Jesus. Slowly but powerfully, He changes you. I, I've often used this illustration like you feel when you, when you look at your Christian growth, it feels like you're staring at grass growing. You feel like, why isn't it going faster? But just leave it for a month and like, whoa, <laughs> right? where did all this come from? And that's like, it's so true for you and me, right? When you look at the last year, the last two years, the last three years, do you just see yourself more gentle, more patient, more self-control, more loving, more joyful? What's that? That's not you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, what he does is he actually takes God's commandments, you know, those rules, and he gives you an appetite for it, taste buds, that you actually start enjoying doing what God says. There's that massive perspective change that he starts doing in your mind. Right? In the past, before you became a Christian, you saw God's rules as oppressive, as a killjoy, stealing my fun. Oh, is this why I shouldn't have sex before marriage? Because God just doesn't like sex for some reason. It's so far from the truth. He wants you to enjoy it to the max. And therefore he says, keep it for one person. You see, so if you think God is a killjoy and God's commandments are burdensome, you will either do it with a pouting lip and become a Pharisee, or you will just give up and live in licentiousness and say, I can't do this. I'm just going to do my own thing. But again, if you do your own thing, if you sever yourself from the law of God, His commandments, you are again very miserable. If you just do you, if you just 
You know, you don't worry what God says, what his word says. You're just following your own, your own tracks. That's a horrible way to live your life. But again, when you are saved, the Spirit takes the law of God and it was first written on the tablets of stone that Moses gave and the Spirit comes and he writes it on the tablets of our hearts. He ingrains it into us so that now what you must do is also what you want to do. You see, now you say, I don't want to steal anymore. I'm refusing to steal because the Holy Spirit has convinced me so much that my Father will never leave me nor forsake me. I can trust him. You don't want to commit adultery because the Holy Spirit has pointed your heart to Christ who is your bridegroom, who satisfies you. He is enough. So I don't want to commit adultery. I don't want to watch pornography anymore because my heart is captured by Christ. You honor your father and your mother, which in the past was impossible, right? But now the Holy Spirit takes your heart and you cry out, Abba, Father, to your heavenly Father and say, Lord, I trust you with these parents, these sinful, imperfect parents. And I want to honor them, Lord, for your sake, because you are my heavenly father. You see what the spirit does? He takes that law, those Ten Commandments, and he starts writing it on your heart. That's what he does. The rules you once hated, you now eat like honey, and you're looking for it, you're longing for them. And by the way, that's true freedom. You know what? What does our culture tell you is freedom? Our culture says to, be, to, to do whatever you want. Don't let anybody tell you what not to do, what to do. That's freedom. But what does that lead to? That leads to addiction. That leads to corruption, whatever, right? It Just into bondage. But here's true freedom. Like one pastor said, true freedom is what is when what you ought to do is the same as what you want to do. Then you are free indeed. When what you ought to do is what you want to do. There is freedom. And only the Holy Spirit can give you, can change you in that way. Now, again, I just want to clarify, please don't misunderstand me. The work of the Spirit to change you is a lifelong project. So there has been some sins that I've been struggling for decades and that I only now slowly start to conquer, start to overcome by His grace. The sin of anger, for example, I've been really battling with anger to put it to death. And only now I start to see by God's grace how I can be more patient and more gracious. But it's his work. It, but it takes time. So my point is, be patient with yourself because the Spirit is patient with you. <laughs> He's patient with you. You be patient with you. So the Spirit saves us. The Spirit sanctifies us. So what do we give to him? That's what we receive from him. So what do we now give back to him? So there are four things we give to him. We, we respond to him. And it's basically to follow his lead in four different aspects of your life. So to follow his lead in um, holiness, to the Bible, to Christ, and to the church. Those are the four areas the Spirit is going to lead you. So first area the Spirit's going to lead you to is to holiness. And you give that to the Spirit by obeying him. So listen to Romans 8 verse 12. Very important verse here. Romans 8 verse 12. So then, brothers... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, here's the key sentence. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. You see, how does the Spirit lead us? 
with a knife in your hand to put it in the throat of sin. That's how the Spirit leads you, to kill sin. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Now feel the weight of this language. Do you hear what it says? It says, put to death the deeds of the body. Step on the neck of sin. Don't make excuses for your sin. Kill it. Chop its head off. Be like David. David is, oh, Goliath falls and then you just take the sword and chop it off again. Like, okay, I want you to be dead, dead. <laughs> right? That's what you need to do with your sin. Like, don't. And I think many Christians have a few pet sins. What I mean by that is, you feel guilty, but not really that guilty. Like, oh, I know it's bad, but it's not that bad. Everybody does it. So you kind of keep it in its cage, you know, and you want to entertain it. But you don't want to kill it. So C.S. Lewis used this powerful imagery about lust. And I'm going to probably butcher it because <laughs> he, he's better than I. But just to, I'm going to adapt that to myself. He says lust is like having a pet dragon. So imagine this pet dragon. And some Christians, they, they have this dragon. And then once they feed this dragon too much, they're so scared. It's like, okay, no, back into the dungeon. And they put the dragon in the dungeon and they leave it alone. And then after a while, they say, Look how cute the dragon is. So I'm just gonna let, I'm just gonna open the cage. I know it's just a little peak. It's just a little. It's not that bad. What happens is, you think you have it under control. Before you know it, this dragon becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually kills you. Eventually destroys your life. So what must you do with the dragon? Don't put it in a cage. Chop its head off. That's what you do. There's no easy killing. Okay. You have to be violent. So think about your sins. I'm tempted to think like when we think of sins, we think of murder, you know, adultery, like those big sins. But what about your impatience? What about your irritability with other people? What about your anger? You say, yeah, I wouldn't have been angry if that person just wasn't an idiot. Then I wouldn't have been so angry, right? <laughs> or... Sure, I'm impatient, but everybody's impatient. Come on, like, come on, really? Should I be, should I not? Should I really worry about my impatience with people? You see, when you say things like that, you're not putting it to death by the Spirit. You're, you're, make, you're putting it in the cage. You're feeling guilty and you put it in the cage and you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave it alone. And then just now and then you're going to feed it again. But to really call it for what it is, and I find this to be the best way to kill it, is by calling it on its name. So, when you have been impatient, when you have sinned, call it that. Lord, I've sinned. I've, I've rebelled against you. I've, I've been trying to be God over my life. I've, Lord, forgive me. Free me from this impatience. Free me from my anger. Give me the self-control I so lack. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might stop the sin. So think about your life. What sin are you currently making excuses for? What, are you, what do you find cute in your life that you need to chop the head off? And you just do that by confessing it and asking God's power. Lord, give me your spirit that I might kill this sin and I might stop it. Remind me of scriptures, of verses at that moment of temptation. And again, the spirit doesn't just want you to kill those negative sins. He also wants you to put on the beautiful virtues. What are the fruit of the spirit? Right? True Conquering is not just not doing sin, it is being full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. 
So, you know, um, in our, like in our modern day, when, when we say someone is full of the Holy Spirit, we might think of miracles, speaking in tongues, fire descending from heaven, burning the altar alive, right? But when's the last time you saw that person is so full of the Spirit? Look how gentle he is. Look how patient that person is. Look how self-controlled. Look how that husband deals with his wife. Look how that wife respects her husband and, and submits to him. Look at how the parents are not provoking their children to anger. That's such a spirit-filled person. You see, that is really what spirit-filled means, is to start looking like the spirit, the character that he builds in you. So take the spirit's hand and follow him where he leads you to kill sin. And don't make excuses, but kill it. So that's the first way. Give that to the spirit. Submit to him to kill sin. Secondly, follow his lead to the Bible. Follow his lead to the Bible. We're going to be short on this one. We saw this with the spiritual warfare. What is the sword of the spirit? The word of God, right? That's the sword. Second Peter 1.21, it says, No prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These words are the words of the Holy Spirit. If you want to hear the Spirit speak to you, read the Bible. It's amazing how the Spirit can lead you if you just have an open heart for Him. I remember there was one morning I was having my quiet time, and I wasn't planning, I was just reading through my Bible, and I landed on Psalm 141, and it says, it was a prayer saying, Lord, please guard my mouth. It's like, Lord, how do I do that? I'm a pastor, I get paid to talk for a living. So now you want me to be quiet, <laughs> you know? And I'm also reading through Job, and you see Job's friends were the wisest when they were quiet, when they didn't say anything. And I, that was the Spirit leading me. And unfortunately, I didn't follow him. I still mm, followed my own words and tried to, to, you know, say things and just wasn't helpful. But that's what I mean by just opening this book and let the Spirit speak to you. Let the Spirit speak into your life. Cut you. It's a double-edged sword cutting into your heart. Number three, follow his lead to Christ. Follow the Spirit's lead to Christ. One of the main works of the Holy Spirit is to point you to Jesus. Listen to this. John 16, verse 14. Jesus says about the Comforter when he comes. Listen to this. He says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He glorifies Jesus. We read in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. I want you to understand, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. So that's the work of the Spirit, to make Jesus so precious to you that you see him as your Lord. So listen, there is a sense in which we can be too much focused on the Holy Spirit. There is a, a wrong way to be focusing on the Spirit. For example... Always praying to the Spirit, always talking with the Spirit, always singing to the Spirit, and you're neglecting the Father and the Son. Now, why do I say that? Because the work of the Spirit is to point you to Jesus. You see, so the irony is, the more Spirit-filled you will be, the more Christ-centered you will be. And so, again, look at the pattern of the Bible. And this is, uh, I'm, I'm open for correction. If any of you know a verse that might correct me, please bring that to me, but... I don't think there is one exception in the whole Bible of a prayer to the Holy Spirit directly. There are a few examples of prayers to, the, to, to Jesus, to the Son, but the overwhelming majority, the Bible's pattern is we pray to the Father, 
in the name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how the Spirit is going to lead you. He's going to lead you to focus on Jesus. And guess what's Jesus, who he is focusing on? The Father. So you see, it's just going to be a, a ladder climbing up. You're going to, be to the, you're going to focus on the Father by, in the name of Jesus, meaning, Lord, I come to you not by my own good works, but by the work of your Son. And you can only say that because the Spirit has helped you to believe that. And you come then by the power of the Spirit. Now, I don't mean you can never talk to the Spirit. That's, that's not what I mean. I think it's good to, in our prayers to, to, do, to pray to the Father, to pray to the Son, to pray to the Spirit. We should do that. All I'm saying is the overwhelming pattern of your life should be biblical. should be Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And last one, the last way the Spirit leads us is leads us to the church. That might be a surprise to many of us. I thought this is a personal relationship with, 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 with the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't, where does this, this group of people called the church come in? Can I, can I minus them from my relationship? Right? But again, like, what does the Spirit do? He takes Jew and Gentile and he makes them one body. Ephesians 4 verse 3 says that the Spirit is our bond of peace. What the Spirit does, he takes two enemies, he takes two hostile people, that have little to nothing in common, and he makes them brothers and sisters in Christ. We now see each other as family. And then, have you ever wondered what it means when it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit? So that's Ephesians 4 verse 30. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read the context, read a few verses up, read a few verses down, it's all about our relationships with one another. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Don't be harsh with one another. Don't let the sun set on your anger. And if you don't do that, guess what you're doing? You're grieving the Spirit. The Spirit wants to bring you to peace, to, to union with the, with the body of believers that loves Jesus. So whenever we say, Lord, I'm refusing to be, I'm, I'm not going to forgive that person. I'm not going to, I'm going to harbor this bitterness. You are grieving the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I have felt some of the most perceptible grieving of the Spirit in my own life when I've gossiped about somebody else. I'll be gossiping about someone and I just, it's almost like the Holy Spirit just tells me, Rian, you're sinning now. Stop it. And then when I say, la, 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 I'm going <laughs> to, like, it just feels too good to share this gossip with this person, right? And when I walk away there, this is that overwhelming weight you feel in your heart, like, wow, I've grieved him. Think about the spiritual gifts. Why does the Spirit give us spiritual gifts? Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Spirit gives us gifts to serve the church, to serve one another. Spiritual gifts is not for you, primarily. It's for you to bless other people. And Paul goes on in that same chapter to use the, the metaphor of a body. Like the members of a body, every piece of the body is necessary for the whole body to grow. And that's what the Spirit does. He equips you to belong somewhere like a puzzle piece. Click, there you belong, there you, need, you are needed. So let Him lead you to His people. That's part of your communion with the Holy Spirit is to share your life with other believers. This is how fellowship with the Spirit looks like, by following His lead. Because he has saved us and he is busy sanctifying us, we trust him. We allow him to take our hands and lead us to holiness, 
to lead us to our Bibles, to lead us to Christ, to love Christ, and to lead us to an imperfect church where we can give ourselves as God intended for us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your only Son in your great love to show us your grace through Christ. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit that has drawn us to Jesus, that has opened our eyes to see his glory and is busy working in our hearts to make us more like Christ. Oh, Father, we want to really put our sins to death by the power of the Holy Spirit, to ask him for strength and stop making excuses for our sins, Lord. Lord, forgive us for grieving your spirit, for refusing to walk in holiness, to, to study your word, to follow Christ or to belong to your church, Lord. Lord, give us, make us new, Lord. We are broken people. We thank you that you can make us new in Christ. So, Father, have your way in us by your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.